Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, Then Sings My Soul, and Reclaiming the Lost Art of Biblical Meditation. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource, or order from your favorite online retailer. Today, Rob begins a brand new series of podcast episodes, overflowing from his lifelong passion of Bible teaching. And now, here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. I want to begin this podcast on a personal note. For about 40 years, I prepared and preached Bible messages at the churches I was pastoring, and I did so every Sunday, sometimes every Sunday night too, year after year. Preparing a biblical sermon is exhausting and exhilarating, and I've missed it. A few years ago, my role at the Donaldson Fellowship changed from senior pastor to teaching pastor, and I began preaching only once a month. This was partially due to Katrina's debilitating illness, but there were other factors. I was shifting into a wider ministry of writing and speaking, and then I'm not getting any younger either. It's all worked out very well, but I've missed the opportunity of preaching through the Scripture on a weekly basis. When I envisioned these podcasts, I was excited about the possibility of preparing weekly Bible lessons again. But with the release of my book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, we decided to devote the initial series of podcasts to the subject of the role of the Bible in American history. I hope you've enjoyed those podcasts, and I'm eager to continue getting my book in front of parents, children, leaders, politicians, journalists, and everyone else. As Christians, we have a reason to be grateful for the role our Bible has played in the formation of the United States of America. But with today's podcast, I'd like to return to what I love doing the most, teaching the Bible. There has never been another book like the Bible, and there never will be again. It is unique in human literature. It was breathed out by God as the Holy Spirit came upon the original authors, and it represents what Almighty God, our Creator, knows that we need to know. Within the pages of Scripture, we have infallible truths we can learn from no other source, unfailing lessons we can learn from no other teacher, and infinite help that is available from no other person. I've been reading and studying the Bible since I was a child, and it's never grown brackish or stagnant to me. On the contrary, It is like a supernaturally luminescent ocean whose depths can never be fully fathomed. The deeper we go, the rarer the pearls, the richer the treasures, the brighter the setting, the sweeter the waters, the calmer the depths, the fresher the truth, and the closer we grow to its creator and communicator, our incredible, indescribable God and our wonderful Savior. The prophet Ezekiel once described a river. At one point, this river came up to the ankles, but then it grew deeper and came up to the knees and then to the waist, and then it became so deep 
It was only for swimming. I believe that most people today who are Christians are standing in the Scripture at ankle's depth, and correspondingly, much of today's Bible teaching is somewhat shallow. There's so much biblical illiteracy in our land that pastors are afraid of going very deep. A generation ago, if you ask a group to turn to the book of Psalms in the Bible, everyone would know just how to open their Bibles to their very middle and to find the spot. But today's audiences have no idea there is a book of Psalms, or what it's all about, or why it's in the Bible at all. And so today's Bible teachers have a tendency to simplify their messages to the lowest common denominator. But then, how in heaven's name will we ever come to know heaven's truth? Without being too critical, my own opinion is that a lot of today's sermons are artificial. They contain little, if any, scripture. Other sermons are superficial. They skim along the surface of Scripture like a pebble skimming across a pond. The best sermons are beneficial. They plunge into the Word of God and let its refreshing waters hydrate them and their audiences for the week ahead. I earnestly want my pulpit and my podcast ministry to be of the latter sort. If you're listening to these broadcasts while driving or jogging, or walking on the greenway, good for you. But if you're listening at your home or at your desk or office, let me encourage you to open your Bible and to get a pen and a pad and to study along with me. You could even gather a small group and use this as a part of your Bible study or your fellowship time. Couples or families could use this podcast each week as a family Bible time or a devotional exercise. So toward that end, I want to begin today a series of studies from the Bible entitled, What's Bothering You? What's Bothering You? Let me set it up like this. Nothing about life is easy and there's always something that is bothering us. The pressures and the anxieties of life feel like raindrops of lead falling on us and every single worry leaves a bruise like discouragement, grief, low spirits, or high alarm. Sometimes we face difficulties we never expected and crises we never wanted. Perhaps right now something is eating away at you. Now use your imagination with me. As Christians, we believe in the Trinity, a Trinitarian God, that there is one God who eternally dwells in three persons, There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just think about this. What if at this very moment the entire Trinity descended in a cloud of glorious power to surround you? Physically, geographically, imagine it. Here they come. They're forming a triangle around you is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Suppose you were enclosed by their presence, and suppose they handed you a three-by-five card and a sharpie, and they ask you one question. What's bothering you? What's bothering you right now? What's bothering you today? 
They just want you to scribble a sentence or two on that 3x5 card. They don't want a lot of information because, after all, they already know all about it, but they want you to identify what is bothering you. You might write, My marriage is broken. My child is distant. My medicine is expensive. Or I hate my job. My friend has died. My brother isn't talking to me. I'm not making good grades. My boyfriend broke up with me. I've been falling into this temptation. My neighborhood is dangerous. Or you might say, I'm having surgery next week. Or I'm getting older. Or my credit card is maxed out. I want you to think about this personally. What's bothering you? In your mind, or maybe even literally, just write out a sentence or two on a 3 by 5 card and hand it back to God. This series of podcasts is called, What's Bothering You? And over the next several weeks, we'll look at three different passages of Scripture. One from God the Father, one from God the Son, and one from God the Holy Spirit. And I believe these three passages represent their answers to you. These three passages are deeply meaningful to me. I've memorized them. I've gone back to them over and over. I quote them to myself all the time. I recite them to myself. I preach them to myself. I think that you'll benefit from doing the same. So with that, let's begin our discussion. What does God the Father say? When you hand your 3 by 5 card back to God the Father, what does He say? Well, I know what He's going to say. He has three simple words for you. Do not fret. Those are the words of Jehovah Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Those are the words He speaks in Psalm 37. So let's go to Psalm 37, and I'm going to read the first eight verses from the New King James Version, which is the translation that I used in memorizing this passage. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 8. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Did you notice that three times in these eight verses, this one paragraph of Scripture, God says, Do not fret. Fretting is such a descriptive word, and I think that we all know that feeling. 
There was an article the other day about a homeless teenager in England who lived under bridges and in rundown houses filled with drug addicts. He finally pulled out of his poverty and he started a business and he developed a company which is now worth millions of dollars. But his early experiences of homelessness traumatized him and he told the newspaper, making all this much money is great, but it doesn't really feel real to me. I have a company worth millions of dollars, but sometimes I still catch myself fretting about a $3 bagel. No matter how wealthy you are, there are things to fret about. I read about a woman who spent years fretting about the impression she was making on other people, fretting about attracting a man, fretting about the clothes she was wearing, about the people that she was attracting to herself, all because of her insecurity. She had a constant feeling of fretting. Parents fret over little signs they notice in their teenagers. Athletes fret when they fall into a slump. Politicians fret when their poll numbers drop. The dictionary defines fretting as a feeling of nagging worry that can torment you, vexing and irritating, distracting fears that gnaw into your feelings of happiness. It comes from an old English word meaning to eat up, to consume, to gnaw away at something. Well, your almighty God said, do not do that. Do not fret. Do not fret. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Those words are taken directly from Psalm 37. But how can we really do that? How can we find freedom from fretting? Well, for a wonderful period of 43 years, I had a wife, my Katrina, who frequently reminded me of this verse, Psalm 37, verse 1. I'm prone to anxiety. And sometimes I would be overwhelmed with feelings of fear that were so strong they felt like physical waves. Katrina would often say, Robert, don't fret. Why are you fretting? The Lord forbids it. Just trust Him and do not fret. And I would say, I am trying to trust Him. And she would always reply, You can't try to trust. You're either trying or you're trusting. You can't do both. So do not fret. We had that conversation over and over. And it's taken me a long time to start, to just start to outgrow my propensity of fretting. But I know this, learning this verse, or even just the first part of this verse, Psalm 37, 1, and quoting it to myself regularly is a powerful antidote for anxiety. The old King James Version says, Fret not thyself. This psalm is ascribed to David, and he wrote it when he was older, because then in verse 25 he said, I once was young, but now I'm old. That doesn't mean that he was ancient, but he had himself experienced a lifetime of pressures, and this is what God said to him and what he was telling to us. Do not fret, do not fret, do not fret. 
Originally, this was written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for fret means to kindle heat. It's descriptive of kindling a little fire. In other words, the Lord is saying here, put out the little fires of dread and envy, the jitters, the feelings of panic, the fretfulness that you feel. I recently read about a man in Pennsylvania named Dennis Woods, who grew up working on a farm. As a 10-year-old boy, Dennis got up every morning at 4 a.m. to work. He had to walk across two different fields to milk the neighbor's cows, and then he returned home to milk his own family's cows, all before heading off to school. Not surprisingly, Dennis grew up with a very good work ethic, and it stayed with him all of his life. As a young man, he got a job at a company called Anvil International, which makes iron pipe fittings and couplings. He stayed at the same job for 60 years. He was promoted over those years, but he worked for the same company, and he never took a sick day and only seldom took his vacation days. He loved his job. Well, he recently retired, and it was big news in his community. Several local newspapers and journalists wanted to talk to him, and they uncovered the secret of his steady life. Dennis is a believer in Jesus Christ. He gets up every morning and has his devotions before leaving to work, and all day long, he said, he remembers Psalms 37 verse 1, which is a sort of theme verse for his life. Dennis Woods likes to say he doesn't fret about things, said one newspaper. He doesn't worry about things. He does not obsess about things. He simply doesn't fret because he calls up the Bible's verse of Psalm 37.1 for his inspiration. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity. Another newspaper said Dennis quotes this verse to himself every day and reminds himself that it is God's command. In fact, said the newspaper, Dennis developed his own paraphrase of the verse in order to make it his own. He says it like this, Fret not thyself of those around you that don't do so good. That's actually good Bible interpretation, because Psalm 37.1 goes on to say, Do not fret because of evildoers. In other words, do not fret about things as you go through life, and especially don't fret because of other people who don't do so good. I want to share with you my theory about Psalm 37. I can't prove it, but I think it fits. You'll have to stay with me because I don't want to confuse you. This involves Old Testament Bible history. Back in the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham that he would make his descendants into a great nation that would bring redemption to the world, the nation of Israel. God also promised to give Abraham's descendants a special ribbon of land in the Middle East, the land of Israel, and the Lord prescribed its dimensions. You'll find this in the book of Genesis. The land of Israel was to go from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates and in the north from Lebanon to the deserts of deep Judea in the south. Later in the book of Exodus, as the history unfolded, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and toward the Promised Land. 
And in the book of Joshua, the great general by that name, Joshua, led the armies of Israel to conquer and to possess that land that God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. But the people of Joshua's day only possessed a fraction of the territory God had originally promised Abraham. In the days of Joshua and Judges and Samuel, the land of Israel did not extend from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates or from the borders of Lebanon to the depths of the Judean desert. Israel never fully claimed the land fully promised them by God. But when David became the king, he determined to press the borders of Israel outward and upward and onward to possess more of God's promised inheritance. Under King David, the writer of Psalm 37, more and more of the promised land was conquered and the borders were extended in all directions. So what do you think David did? He surely sent Jewish settlers into these newly occupied territories to possess it. It sounds like today's headlines, doesn't it? The more things change in the Middle East, the more they remain the same. And so in David's day, brave Jewish farmers and settlers moved into the occupied territories to establish Jewish settlements in rather hostile territory where their surviving enemies still lived. I think David wrote Psalm 37 to encourage those settlers who were trying to possess the promised land and who were seeking to claim all of the territory God had given them, but they were facing hostility from a defeated enemy. I'm basing this theory on several verses that I want to read to you from Psalm 37 from the New International Version. This is the way the translators of the NIV stated these verses, and it was in reading these verses that brought me to my theory. In Psalm 37 and verse 3, David told his audience, Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. In verse 9, he said those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In verse 11, he said the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. In verse 18, he said the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In verse 22, those the Lord blesses will inherit the land. Verse 27, turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Do you notice there the repetition? Why else would David tell these people that he was writing to, to dwell in the land and to inherit the land and to possess the land and to seek pasturage in the land. I can only think of one reason. These were Jewish settlers who were determined to claim God's promised land, even if it was newly conquered and still riddled with the remnants of their defeated enemy, King David, who had pressed the borders of Israel outward, told them, you may be surrounded by evildoers, but do not fret, trust the Lord, and inhabit the land. I find this so encouraging. 
As someone who wants to be a growing Christian, I want to possess more and more of God's promises. Don't you? He has promised peace beyond understanding, joy that overflows, victory over temptation, fruitfulness that remains, work that isn't in vain, an eternal home in heaven, and a personality that increasingly reflects the nature of Jesus Christ as we grow in Him. We have many great and precious promises in our future. But we also have a defeated enemy who wants to take that ground out from under us. He can throw many challenges our way. So as you seek to live in the land of God's promised future for you, you can be sure the devil will try to vex you with all kinds of worry and fear and apprehension and nervousness, and these are the things about which we fret. But as you possess this land, as you go from day to day walking in the promised land of God's future for you, he says, do not fret. Trust me. So let's review. What is the Lord's question to you? He asks, what's bothering you today? What is it that is bothering you today? What would you write on your little three-by-five card? What would you hand over to God the Father? Well, whatever it is, He has this word for you and for me. Do not fret. Do not fret. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Well, next time we'll continue with Psalm 37. Such a wonderful, rich portion of Scripture. You might want to read a few verses from it or maybe read it through a few times this week. Maybe you'll even want to do as I have done and memorize the first paragraph. I think it will be of help to you and we'll continue studying it in the days and weeks to come. I'm glad you've tuned into this podcast. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media, edited by Elijah Rowe, music by Jordan Davis. For more information and resources, visit my website at robertjmorgan.com. This is Robert J. Morgan. Do not fret, and thank you for listening.